Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, this is going to be a really awesome interview today. We have NHL legend and one of my mentors and colleagues from the not-for-profit we are both part of, Same Here Global, which was founded by Eric Cusin. He is a 1989 Stanley Cup champion, a player with multiple NHL All-Star games under his belt, an Olympic gold medalist, and 1,000-point NHL goal score, just to name a few accolades. He is a former Calgary Flame, Colorado Avalanche, New York Ranger, and of course my team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Currently, he does amazing work helping others through motivational speaking and his Breaking Free Foundation, just to name a few. It is my pleasure to have on Theo Fleury. Theo, thank you again uh, for being on. Really appreciate you taking time to do this. Yeah, my pleasure, Tyler. I'm, uh, I'm excited uh, that you have your own podcast. It's awesome. I appreciate it. Yes, wanted to uh, definitely have you on and everything and, and uh, really enjoyed. I can't believe it's... Uh, two years already that we've been working together with Eric and it was uh, January 21st if you remember two years ago uh, being in New York City at the Gotham Comedy Club and the the fundraiser and that was just an incredible event. Yeah I know it, uh, <clears throat> it's been an awesome experience to work with uh, same here and we're all a little crazy and uh, you know it, it's hard to believe you know that that uh, what two and a half years ago, Eric, Eric and I got on the phone together. Is uh, I was one of the first guys that he reached out to, and we just hit it off right from day one. And to see how Eric's grown the, uh, you know the the same here foundation uh, has been absolutely uh, a joy to watch and and also to be a part of it. Definitely. And uh, we really um, had a lot of great things happening. We're going to continue to have a lot of great things and uh, glad you're on board and, and glad uh, Eric's got this thing rolling. We're doing amazing things for sure. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. And you know what, I, I love the fact that, you know, we're, you know, we're changing how we speak, talk, act and, and how we uh, get more people help you know, with same here, you know, I think the, the, uh, the approach we have taken, um, you know, is we're kind of, uh, <clears throat> in a leadership role where, uh, we, we've, we've watched what's, what, what's happened in the mental health uh, space and, and, uh, how many more people need services and they need help and, and, uh, and that it isn't, always about a magic pill it's it's more about you know taking a holistic approach and and realizing that relationships uh between people are sometimes more effective than uh maybe journeying down the road of uh you know big pharma and uh you know the medical space definitely definitely i definitely uh, appreciate that approach and definitely uh value the work that that's going on there with that and, and the message we're trying to put out for sure. And uh, definitely going to talk, want to talk more about that and what you're doing and, and everything and I'm going to kind of start. So I don't know if I told you this or not. I'm, I'm sure I did at some point, but I actually got to see you play in person 
uh, it was my very first NHL game, December 26, 2002. So my dad surprised me with tickets to the Hawks game there at the United Center, and we were sitting three rows from the ice next to kind of where the players' section was for the friends and family of the, of the players. And uh, Hawks ended up tying the Wild 2-2 two to two in overtime, and you would score a goal in that game. And that was my very first NHL game. Um, so I have to ask, not trying to put you on the spot, do you remember that particular game? Just curious. I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You played in a lot of you know, games. When, when you play, geez, I almost played 1,200 games in the NHL, including playoffs. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if if I do remember that that game, particular game, but. Uh, uh, I'm glad that I scored a goal. That's for sure, because that's my job. So. Yeah, definitely. And it was uh, definitely was a game that you know, like I said, it was my first NHL game, and and that's where, you know, I was like, man, that guy out there, he can skate. He can, you know, obviously you scored in that game. I just wish wish the Hawks would have won, but I'll I'll take the one point too. That's better than nothing, right? <laughs> Yes, of course. <laughs> so so I always like to start out um, with my guests talking about kind of where they grew up, giving us a brief overview of their careers to today. So kind of starting backwards and working their way to what they're doing today, which obviously we've, we've touched on a little bit, is so important. So let's start with kind of going back. I know your story very well, but I want my listeners to really get an appreciation for what hard work means and how you progressed in the NHL and then how that led you to the work that you're doing now that is so important and appreciated by so many people. Right. Well, I was, uh, let's see, I was five years old and I was walking home with one of my classmates and uh, he said to me, he said, hey, we're having our first hockey practice tonight and do you want to come play? And I was like, sure. So I, I ran home, asked my mom if I had any equipment or anything and so we searched around the house found an old pair of skates some old hockey gloves and you know a little bit of equipment I put it in a pillow sack and I went to my first hockey practice and uh you know really never put on this gear ever before in my life and uh, put on the skates put on all the equipment stepped on the ice didn't fall down didn't struggle and uh, absolutely fell head over heels in love with the game of hockey. And, you know, from, I think from that moment on, you know, I sort of knew what I wanted to do and I knew what I wanted to be. And and so I spent, you know, the majority of my childhood, uh, you know, living, eating, breathing, you know, eating, sleeping uh, hockey and, uh and, you know, like I said, from, from the very first time I knew that I was good at it. And, uh, but not only that, you know, it was, a it was escape from my home life. You know, both my parents struggled with addictions and, and, uh, you know, my home wasn't, you know, maybe the safest place to, to be and, uh, experience. And so, you know, playing hockey and being a part of a team, you know, I, uh, I got some really amazing friends, uh, amazing, amazing coaches who, you know, not only taught us about the game of hockey, but more importantly, they taught us about the game of life. And, you know, we learned to be a part of a team. We learned to love and care for our teammates. We learned about respect. We learned about consequences and, you know, and all these things. And, and, uh, 
But what happened was, you know, we just created this really cool environment and it was the same environment that I was in for about nine, nine years before I left home to, you know, to pursue my dream of being a professional hockey player. But, uh, um, you know, we, we became a great team. We had a lot of success. We had a lot of winning, uh, opportunities and, uh, and it really sort of set me up for the rest of my life because I got the blueprint for success early on in my life. And, and, uh, and then, you know, as a 14 year old hockey player, I got drafted by the Winnipeg Warriors, uh, which was a junior team in the Western hockey league. And, uh, and I moved to, I moved to Winnipeg when I was 15 years old. And, uh, the guy that recruited me, unfortunately, uh, over the next two and a half years, uh, uh, he raped me 150 times over a two and a half year period. And so it sort of, you know, really set me out on a different path. And, and uh, you know, I remember from the very first sip of alcohol I had, I knew that uh, I knew that I'd found my secret potion and secret formula to sort of deal with you know, those traumatic experiences that I had experienced up until that point in my life. And, you know, it was a, it was a way for me to suppress and, and deal with the emotional pain and scars that were left behind from those two experiences. And, and, uh, but, you know, I went on to have this amazing hockey career, which you, which you talked about in your intro and, uh, um, but, being an addict and an alcoholic, you know, obviously my my alcoholism and my drug addiction really came to the forefront, and my mental state of mind wasn't wasn't great. In 2003, I got kicked out of the NHL because I couldn't stop drinking and I couldn't stop doing drugs, and my behavior was completely out of control. My mental illness was completely out of control. You know, I suffer from severe depression and severe anxiety and. You know, I could no longer manage all of it together, and so I left the game. And uh, 16 years ago, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth, ready to pull the trigger, not because I wanted to end my life. I wanted to get rid of the pain and the suffering that I had experienced for, you know, the majority of my life. And and uh, But what came out of all of that was uh, a real sort of will to wanting to live because I didn't pull the trigger and I didn't end my life, you know, I, I, uh, uh, but it was an exercise that needed to happen because I discovered that I wanted to live. And, and that really started me on this journey of, of, uh, you know, of healing. And then, uh, 2009, I wrote a autobiography about my life and, and, uh, that, you know, that completely changed my life because what happened is I ran into a whole bunch of other people who had the same experiences as me and and were seeking me out at book signings and speaking engagements and events and to tell me their own stories. And so, you know, what really come out of all of that pain and suffering was purpose. And, uh, and so now I've spent the last... 12 years in the space of trauma, mental health, and addiction, you know, helping other people uh, come to their own uh, grips with what happened to them and, and what, you know, what they went through. So it's been absolutely incredible and, and amazing.
Definitely. And I appreciate, uh, you know, you've been so open about your story and, and I definitely, enough, uh, of course I've, you know, the work we've done together with Eric and, and being on calls, I definitely can see the, the passion you have for wanting to help people. And it definitely, uh, it's definitely appreciated by many. And I just appreciate you sharing your story and continuing to try to, to help people and, and be, you know, be a, even guidance for them in, in cases. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what we, we try to do is we try to promote people finding their own voice and using their voice to talk about that pain and suffering, because, you know, my story is uncommon, but it's incredibly common. Okay. And, you know, I think when you, when you get past, you know, all of the layers, how we present ourselves to the world and really sort of get to that, deep dark place where all those secrets are hidden and you know we provide you know safety and understanding and compassion and empathy and and love and all those things you know we we create that safe space and when we create that safe space it allows people to you know like i said use their voice and and talk about their pain and suffering because uh you know i really believe it's the first step in the process is finding you know, safe people or safe environments or safe places where we can talk about our trauma and, and, and you know, release uh, all this pain and anguish that, that most people, you know, around the world, uh, you know, suffer with on a daily basis. And, and, uh, and so to be <clears throat> involved with, you know, all, the, all these amazing people uh, who we're all trying to find the same goal and that's to, you know, provide a space and provide a, a platform for people to uh, do their healing is, you know, it's, it's what gets me out of bed every day. Definitely. And it's definitely, uh, I know uh, the work you do obviously is, is amazing. All the organizations you're part of the amazing work they do. It, it's helping people and, uh, you know, continue to fight the good fight as, as uh, you once told me. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I know what it's like to get to that sort of bottom rung on the ladder and, and, you know, sort of be presented with, you know, the opportunity to either die or to, to live. And, and, uh, and then, you know, going from that place to where I am today, um, you know, it's, it's all been worth it, right? Everything that, uh, and, you know, what, what I've really discovered is, you know, there, there is lessons, there is inspiration in the pain and the suffering. And, you know, it brought me to this, you know, to this new place, this new life, these new opportunities um, that I had to go through the pain. And I had to experience those experiences to get uh, to where I am today. And, and, uh, and so, you know, that's what I try, try to tell people all the time is there's a reason for uh, what you're feeling. There's a reason, you know, and uh, um, the, you know, the spiritual side of it is, you know, God only gives us as much as we can handle. And there's a reason why he gives certain people certain things is because, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity to learn. There's lessons in there. Uh, and ultimately, um, 
because of those experiences, you know, I got to the true purpose of my life and that was to help as many people get to where they need to go. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's taught me so many incredible lessons that, you know, that I didn't have before, you know, I was very uh, stuck in the ego space and, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of compassion for people or empathy or any of that stuff. And, and, uh, um, what I've experienced and what I've learned are all those things that are really now uh, incredible tools and skills, you know, that I use to help other people um, along this journey of healing as well. Definitely. And, and you've also done it too, uh, definitely um, through your motivational speaking, you know, you've wrote a couple of books, um, but also uh, a lot of people, um, uh, who are listening may not know this, but you also have an album out. You're a uh, singer songwriter as well. And your, uh, your songs are definitely, uh, definitely on my Spotify list for sure. And if people get a chance, check it out. Uh, my favorite song on there is actually rattlesnake because I think yep. it kind of sums, you know, some that, and of course, you know, my life's been a country song is, is they're all great songs, but those <laughs> two stick out to me for sure. Those are, and they're good, you know, the, the flow of the music, but really, you know, yes, the sa- songs sound good, but it's really to the message behind those songs. So kind of talk, talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of singing, songwriting and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I've lived most of my life in the entertainment sort of space, you know, whether I was a hockey player or a speaker or an author or performing songs that I've written, you know, uh, I believe the message has always been consistent, you know, and, um, you know, wanting to exhaust all platforms uh, because people learn people in different spaces. Right. And, uh, but music for me has been incredibly cathartic. You know, I, I grew up around country music, you know, my family's incredibly musical. Um, you know, some of my fondest memories as a child were sitting beside my grandpa listening to him play the fiddle and my dad singing, my uncle singing and, you know, all that stuff. And so it was, you know, it was just one of those happy places. And then, you know, being able to uh, write books and, and get a message through, you know, being a co-author, you know, I was like, geez, if I can write books, maybe I can write music. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have a couple of really good friends uh, who are singer-songwriters, producers, uh, you know, in the business. And, you know, they agreed to work with me on on sort of these thoughts in my head. And, and uh, you know, I say that my music is just uh, a version of of what's in the book, the first book. And, uh and, you know, I love the I love the process of taking a you know a thought or phrase or a word or an idea and turning it into you know music. And so, um, and w- what I love is we you know we we took our time. I think it took us like six years to you know write and produce the album. And so, uh, you know, the project was incredibly cathartic. It was a lot of fun. Um, it had my full inten- attention, um, and like everything else in my life, you know, I worked really hard. You know, I had a, I hired a vocal coach for, you know, probably a year. I went to a vocal coach, and 
you know, because I knew that, um, that if I came out with something like this, that it had to be, uh, up to standards with everything else that I did in my life. And so, um, you know, we're really proud of the album, really proud of how it turned out. And, uh, you know, the amount of people that have listened to the music and, and really found, you know, a lot of inspiration, a lot of joy, a lot of hope, uh, through the music has been incredible, uh, you know, experience. For sure. And, and it definitely, uh, can make you feel good. Now I'm not very musically inclined, but I have family members that are, and I know that when you get them just hearing from them, you know, when, when your music or even book, whatever you're doing helps someone that definitely gives you kind of the feel good inside for sure. Knowing that, you know, the work you did, which is not even work, it's, almost like it's a hobby it's what you love to do is helping someone it's a win-win for everybody involved yeah big time yeah for sure and you know like i said you know um when i was building you know my my personal brand you know we uh, you know we wanted to be able to for our for the people who followed us you know we wanted them to be able to you know touch talk feel learn you know, be inspired, all these things, you know, we're part of, you know, we're part of the brand. And so, you know, whether it's me on stage speaking or, you know, somebody picking up the album like you did and, and finding two really great songs that can take you, you know, maybe out of a space that's uncomfortable, you know, then I think we've, we, we accomplished what we actually set out to do. And that's, that's pretty awesome. Definitely. I definitely want to talk to you about um, your playing career as well. And, and uh, you know, I read off some of your accolades earlier. Um, so I'd like to talk about kind of each stop you had there in the NHL, starting with Calgary. Um, you know, you won the cup in, in 89. Uh, kind of talk to me about that year and getting called up from from Salt Lake. And, and I believe you were playing in Salt Lake earlier that year. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And then you got called up and, and were a big part of that 89 team kind of talk about that and, and playing mm. in Calgary. Yeah. Well, um, so I was told my whole entire life, you know, <clears throat> I was too small and I was never going to make it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, instead of, uh, allowing that to affect, you know, me and my dream, you know, I turned that negativity into something positive because I didn't see uh, myself as a small person. I always saw myself as somebody who could overcome pretty much anything that was thrown at them in their life. And so, um, you know, my draft year, which was 1986, uh, I wasn't drafted. So 12 rounds of the draft went by. And then the following year, I didn't get picked until the eighth round. And so there was 412 guys selected before me in the draft. And all I ever wanted was an opportunity because I don't believe it's where, you know, the number that you get drafted, it's where you finish. It's what you do. Uh, and so I got this amazing opportunity from the Calgary Flames. And I came to my first training camp and, you know, I took a whole entire organization who didn't believe that I could be a full-time NHL player. And I took all these people who were only looking at my size. And by the end of that first training camp, I turned them all into believers. And I signed my first professional contract uh, 
uh, right before the World Junior uh, in 1988, where I was the captain of Canada's national junior team, and we won the we won the gold medal. And and then the following year, came to training camp, got sent down to the minors, and uh, um, you know, just played played unbelievable. I was leading the International Hockey League in scoring the the night that I got called up to the Calgary Flames and and uh you know my dream was always to to play in the NHL but when I got to Calgary you know uh we had an amazing team a really awesome team a great bunch of guys and uh and so you know I fulfilled two dreams in in about a 6 month span you know I I made it to the NHL and then 6 months later you know, I was carrying the cup around this, uh, you know, the Montreal Forum, and uh, you know, it was it was everything I dreamed of and 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 more, and uh, and so you know, my time in Calgary, you know, I'm a Western Canadian kid. Calgary's a Western Canadian city. Uh, the city has the same morals, the same values that were instilled in me, you know, you know at an early age, and uh, you know, fell in love with the city. Uh, fell in love with the fans the fans fell in love with me and you know it was an amazing 11 and a half year ride here in Calgary and uh, um, you know it was, there was a lot of great things that happened you know there was a lot of ups and downs and in-betweens and and uh, but an amazing organization amazing city uh, amazing people it's why it's why I chose to live in Calgary post uh, playing career because uh, you know I just love the people of Calgary and uh, and uh, love uh, how charitable this uh, this part of the world is, and and uh, how many great, amazing people. It's an it's a place for entrepreneurs, and I'm an entrepreneur, and and uh, so there's you know there's lots of opportunities, lots of amazing things that are happening. So uh, yeah, and and it was a it was a great experience, and um, you know one of the saddest days of of my life was when I got traded from Calgary to Colorado, and. Uh, um, but you know, I was I was becoming a free agent, and uh, we were a small market team here in in Calgary, and uh, you know we just couldn't hammer out a deal, and and shortly after uh, we couldn't come to an agreement, I got traded to the Colorado Avalanche, which was an unbelievable um, experience in itself. For sure, and I'm curious, Theo. I've always wanted to ask somebody, you know in professional sports when there's you know whether it's trade rumors or being traded i mean are teams keeping you or was the team keeping you informed like hey we're looking at this or kind of how does that all go down do you know it's coming in most cases or is it one of those where um it just kind of takes you by surprise well there was you know i was going into my last year of my contract and i knew that uh you know that the team like I said, was a small market team. The dollar uh, at that time wasn't very good. Uh, our fan base, uh, what, you know, we were rebuilding. And our fan base, people weren't showing up to come to the games and stuff. And so, you know, I sort of knew that the writing was on the wall. Um, but, you know, I still had hope that that we could work something out where I could, you know, finish the rest of my career in Calgary and uh, unfortunately that didn't happen and and you know the trade came right out of the blue and uh you know one day you know i was get, i was getting up getting ready to go to practice and 
I looked out the window and I saw the uh, the general manager of our team, his car outside. And, you know, I said to, I said to Veronica, who's my wife at the time, I said, uh, I said, I think we just got traded. And sure enough, you know, he knocked on the door, he came in and, you know, told me what, what happened. And, uh, you know, I think it was like six or seven hours later, you know, I was getting off a plane, um, uh, at the Denver airport as a member of the Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sackick met me off the plane and uh, um, yeah, but um, if for, you know, I could have ended up anywhere and uh, to be able to go to a, you know, an amazing team like the Colorado Avalanche and the amount of talent it reminded me of, you know, when I came to Calgary in, in 89 and, uh, you know, really rejuvenated uh, uh, my career and, and, you know, it was an, another opportunity to win a Stanley cup, which we almost achieved, uh, in Colorado. We just came up one, one game short, but, uh, but the experience and, and being around, uh, you know, that group of people, um, you know, was, was amazing. Definitely. And then you would go from Denver to Manhattan, Manhattan, New York, and uh, play for the Rangers for three years. Kind of talk about, obviously you talked earlier about, you know, small market team, you know, then Colorado, and then now we've got uh, New York. So kind of talk about the differences between playing in New York City versus, you know, your other two previous stops, and then mm. just kind of that whole experience of now being in the Big Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm kind of, I won't say, I know your story, so I'm trying to kind of, preface mm -hmm. it by saying you know for those listeners who don't know theo's gonna kind of about to tell you so that's why there was kind of a little you know grin on both ends in there but uh <laughs> yeah. but uh uh yeah so this will be well, uh, you know i I'd, I'd worked through my whole career to have this one opportunity to sort of you know win the lottery and mm -hmm. uh and i you know i accomplished that in new york and uh you know signed a huge deal um, always wanted to play for an original six team. Um, you know, my dad was actually drafted by the Rangers in 1963. And so, you know, there was, there was some connections there and, you know, I, I'd played in Madison square garden as a visitor and, and loved the atmosphere and loved, uh, you know, the experience of playing at Madison square garden. Now I was going to get an opportunity to do that for the next four years. And, uh, um, it was awesome to put on that that Ranger jersey, the red, white, and blue. And, um, you know, our third jersey had Lady Liberty on it. And right. so, you know, there was lots of amazing things uh, about that experience. And, and, uh, um, and yeah, it was, it, it, was the, it was the time of my life. And, and uh, but unfortunately, you know, I tried to take a bite out of the Big Apple and it took a big, huge one out of me. And, uh, you know, I don't think I was prepared for, you know, especially coming from a small marketplace where I knew everybody, you know, I knew all the, the people that took care of the ice. I knew all the ushers. I knew, you know, all the staff and everything. And I got to New York and it was, you know, it was completely different. You know, um, half the guys lived in the city, half the guys lived outside the city. So, you know, the only time you sort of saw people is when you, you know, came to the rink for practice or, you know, preparing for, for a game. So it was, it was different. And, uh, you know, I thought I could handle it. I thought I was prepared. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the team didn't do very well, which sort of added a lot more pressure um, to the situation. And, 
And yeah, and that's when, you know, my career started to sort of unravel. But, uh, um, you know, there were moments when, you know, I played up to my potential and, and things were, were going really well, you know, especially, you know, the Olympic year in 2002, you know, I played with Eric Lindros and a guy named Mike York and, and, uh, you know, the three of us were at the very top of the scoring race. Uh, I believe they uh, called that the fly line, the fly line. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, it's hilarious because Eric Lindros is the farthest thing from a fly that you can probably <laughs> imagine. But, uh, but yeah, and, you know, the success we had the first half of the season, you know, got me on the Olympic team in 2002 and, and, uh, you know, and had that amazing experience of, of playing in the Olympics in 2002 and then winning, you know, a gold medal for your country was, you know, sort of the, the cherry on top of my whole entire career. Definitely. And, and, um, I know you talked a lot in your book too about, you know, kind of that whole experience of really trying to play hard because you knew the Olympics were a possibility and, and that was something you really wanted and to, and then to be able to do it, represent your country and win gold. I know, uh, I know it meant a lot to you just, you know, in the way you portrayed it in the book and, and, and just interviews I've read and stuff. So I, I definitely know it's, uh, uh, something you're very proud of it. Yeah, it should well, be rightfully it's, so. It's uh, it's the ultimate ultimate as an athlete is to compete for your country at the Olympics, and uh, you know <clears throat> we had gone in '98 as sort of the dream team, and and uh, you know we 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 lost in the bronze medal game uh, that, so it sort of left a, a bad taste in all of our mouths, and so to be able to have the opportunity to sort of go to Salt Lake and redeem ourselves from '98 and uh, yeah, from from start to finish, that whole entire experience was, um, you know, one of the most memorable, one of the most uh, incredible uh, experiences of my life. And, and uh, you know, I, I get to stare at that gold medal, you know, every day in my office as I'm, you know, working away. So, um, and when you win uh, a gold medal for your country, at the Olympics and especially in hockey, because in Canada, hockey's like religion. And, uh, you know, uh, for what was it? 14 days in February, basically the whole country basically shuts down and people, you know, plan their lives around, you know, watching us play for team Canada. So, uh, you know, and, and not only that, we hadn't won a gold medal at the Olympics in hockey for, I think it was 52 years to the day uh, we hadn't won. And so um, when it was all said and done to be one of 20 guys in the last 52 years uh, to have a gold medal, you know, was kind of, you know, really sort of put that whole experience into perspective for me and realizing how important and how amazing that whole two weeks was, was, was really awesome. Definitely. And, and from there, um, you would go on and sign a two year deal with with Chicago. And uh, obviously, you know, you know, kind of my background. So a lot of my listeners are, uh, on social media and stuff are going to be from Chicago. So kind of talk about that experience. Now you were only in Chicago for, for the one season there, but kind of talk about that experience in Chicago, that 0203 team and, and what playing at the United Center 
meant to you and, and really old Chicago Stadium. I know I read where uh, you really enjoyed uh, playing in old Chicago Stadium as well. Yeah, it was probably my favorite building of all the ones we played in, uh, the old Chicago Stadium. Uh, yeah, I played my first All-Star game at the old old Chicago Stadium too. So, you know, I had a lot of memories. But, um, you know, I, my life started to implode around that time. And, uh, you know, I think after the Olympics in 2002, I probably should have retired because my – my uh, sort of love and passion for the game kind of, you know, started to leave me. And, you know, I was getting older and, um, you know, wasn't enjoying practice as much as I did before. I wasn't enjoying working out in the summer as much as I did before. And and so, um, you know, I thought I could squeeze a couple more years out. But, uh, um, and Brian Sutter, who I had in Calgary, who was uh, – you know, one of my favorite coaches that I ever played for, um, you know, he was in Chicago and he was the guy that sort of convinced me that I should come to Chicago and, and play for the Blackhawks. And, and, you know, it was my second original six team to play for. Um, I remember the first night I put on the, you know, the, the Blackhawk Jersey, um, was such a thrill because, um, you know, I, I, I have Aboriginal, indigenous blood in me and so you know the the blackhawks were always sort of a symbol for our community and and uh, a lot of a lot of people uh, our people you know cheer for the blackhawks because of you know the the chief on the crest and so um and i i tell you living in chicago for a year was one of the greatest cities i've ever lived in it's one of the best sports towns I think I lived five blocks from Wrigley Field, and uh, and so you know that the the life experience of, of living in Chicago was amazing, and uh, you know unfortunately I just I I couldn't hold it together any longer, and uh, you know the the season that I played in Chicago ended ended up being a very disappointing one, and and then when I was looking looking to come back for the next year, you know I. I I knew that I was done and I knew that I was finished and, and, uh, and because, you know, the year before it was so, um, hard and, and, and rough and all those things, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was time to hang them up and, and, uh, yeah, I left the game and, uh, and, and it wasn't too long after that, that, uh, you know, I started down this path of, uh, you know, that I've been on ever since. Definitely, and and we talked a little bit about that earlier, and, and want to dive back into the work uh, of the Breaking Free Foundation and and uh, what you do, you know, with that, and, and the work you all are doing with that. Yeah, so um, like I, I think a few years after my book came, oh, maybe one year after my book came out, um, you know, we were getting inundated with. Um, people's stories like it was almost you know on a daily basis we were getting like 10 15 people reaching out to us either through email or social media or whatever and you know i was like there really isn't a place for people who've been sexually abused to you know find a community or find their tribe and so um we uh i i I got seven of my friends 
Uh, we got two Winnebago's, and I walked from Toronto to Ottawa, which is about a 400, 400 kilometer, 250 miles for you for people in the U.S. And uh, we walked for 10 days, and we did one marathon walking every day for 10 days. And, uh, and really, we didn't have a whole lot of expectation other than the fact that we said, you know, let's go on a walk and see what happens. And what happened was, I know for the seven people that were on the walk, you know, it changed our lives forever. But more importantly, we created this really cool place and space where, you know, as we were walking down the highway, you know, people were pulling up on the side of the road, getting out of their cars and sharing their sexual abuse stories with us. And we were absolutely blown away at the, you know, the amazing support. And then when we got to Ottawa, on the last day of the walk, like there was like 2,500 survivors who traveled from all over the country to join us on that last day and that last walk. And then, you know, and then we got to go into, uh, you know, uh, the parliament of Canada and meet with a whole bunch of MPs and, and whatnot. So it was, it was amazing 10 days. And, and so on the last day that we arrived in Ottawa, we had sister walks all over the country. And so there was a girl in Calgary who ran the walk in Calgary. And, you know, she was a, a sexual abuse survivor who had never told their story before. And the day that we arrived on Ottawa, there was a walk in Calgary and she told her story for the very first time and then wrote a blog about her experience. And after reading this blog, I was like, you know what? I really need to get in touch with this girl. And so her and I and Kim uh, Barthel, who helped me write my second book, uh, Conversation with a Rattlesnake, we met at a Starbucks uh, in Calgary talking about creating a foundation. And that's where the Breaking Free Foundation was born, was at a Starbucks in Calgary. And... And so we, we run two programs. Uh, one first program is a therapy grant program where uh, you can write to us for a therapy grant because most people can't afford professional help. And once you're approved, we'll pay for six sessions with a trauma-informed therapist. And then if you need more after that, then we'll, you can reapply and we'll, we'll uh, supply you with more uh, therapy grants. And, and the second program is a program called uh, a meetup. And we run two meetups every month where everybody and any, anybody can come. And we co-facilitate a conversation around trauma, mental health, and addiction. And in this program, which I believe is our most effective program, you know, we've actually saved uh, several people from, you know, killing themselves. And now these people have become peers in our group and are now helping others uh, who are newcomers that come to, to our meetups. Uh, you know, they're helping them on their own journey. And so it's really been an amazing program. And, uh, you know, we have a, an awesome board of directors and, uh, you know, we do all kinds of fundraising activities so that we can provide these therapy grants for people. Definitely. And, and like I said, just want to emphasize too, the work is definitely appreciated and, and, uh, 
it definitely helps people for sure. And, and, you know, all the speaking events that, um, you know, you do and, and, you know, books and all that, it's definitely, uh, the word's definitely getting out there for sure. And then yeah, the help is out there. Yeah, definitely the help is out there. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, we're, we're all going to end up in a place that's uncomfortable, that it's, that's painful. And, uh, you know, we may feel alone in our pain and suffering, but, uh, you know, the Breaking Free Foundation is a safe place for people to come and tell us their stories and then, you know, join us on our own, you know, journeys of healing. For sure. And is there a website, Theo, where... Yeah, uh, breakingfreefoundation.ca. Awesome. That's breakingfreefoundation.ca. Check out the website if you get a chance. Yeah, and we're on uh, social media too, Breaking Free Foundation on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all of it. So. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, lastly here, so I end my, uh, my podcast segments with a thing. And, and again, we uh, appreciate you sharing your story and, and the... Uh, the what you're doing now again it's amazing work and uh also check out theo on uh twitter as well he he's always uh posting on there and uh it is at theo flurry 14 that's sounds right isn't it yep that's it yep okay yep. got it yep following there uh also on instagram and uh yeah continue to uh follow the work he's the amazing work him and and his team and then of course same here global is doing uh, so I end my uh, segment with my guests with a thing called Tyler's Five, and it's just five random fun questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything, and they're made to kind of put you on the spot and make you think a little bit. So uh, are you ready for that? I'm ready. All right. First question, Theo. Favorite movie? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Oh, that's a good one. Definitely a good one. Um, second question, if you could sing on stage with one person, who would it be? Oh man, either Charlie Pride or Buck Owens. Charlie Pride or Buck Owens. Those are, those are definitely good ones too. And you know, um, I think I might've told you this, but I actually grew up about 10 minutes from Charlie Pride's theater, uh, down in uh, Branson, Missouri. That's yes. Awesome. Definitely. And then, uh, the, I, I, no, I told you this, but the Oak Ridge Boys, and at the time, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, the Oak Ridge Boys, I had no clue how big they were. You know, my mom was was a radio MC down in Branson, and um, every time the Oak Ridge Boys would come to town for their little one or their stint there at the Grand Palace, uh, she would always introduce them. And so I'd always be in the back playing ping pong with Dwayne Allen and, you know, William Lee Golden would come over and talk to me. And, and again, I kind of grew up around Branson entertainers, so I didn't really know until now how big exactly they are. And, and so, uh, definitely, uh, we definitely have that connection with the, kind of that, that genre and that Nashville slash Branson yeah. music. Love it. Love it. I actually got to see Charlie here in Calgary, uh, probably five years ago. I took my mom and dad and it was, it was unbelievable. It was so much fun. That's awesome. Uh, third one, if you could only, and, and I really shouldn't be asking this of a hockey player or any athlete because it's bad for him, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. If you can only have one fast food place, which would it be? Oh, man. A&W. And, oh, A&W, that one's good. We used to uh, we used to have those in Missouri, but I think they kind of uh, went away a while back. Yeah, they got it's, it's more of a Canadian franchise, and they've, they've really uh, – 
they're all organic now so it's pretty good organic organic burgers organic fries you know it's all good and even Definitely. their uh even their pop is uh organic too so pretty cool wow awesome uh fourth question favorite place you have ever visited oh man well so the the symbol for the victor walk is a frog (laughs) and i discovered the frog in a place called bella coola british columbia it's one of the most beautiful uh pristine uh, places I've ever been to. I was actually speaking there, uh, one of the indigenous communities, and uh, uh, went on a hike with one of these uh, one of these uh, spiritual healers and teachers and historians, and and uh, we ran into a frog on our walk, and he explained to me that, you know, first thing he said, he said, "Ever seen a frog hop backwards?" And I said, "No, I can't say that I have." And he said. Well, the frog can look to the left and it can look to the right, but it's always going straight ahead. And, and, you know, it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of how I looked at my life at that point, because I'd lived most of my life in my past and my pain and my suffering. And, you know, this frog showed up to, sh- to tell me, you know, to just keep moving forward in, you know, in little hops and little baby steps. And, and, uh, I actually have a tattoo of it on my, on my forearm now to remind me of, uh, you know, how far I've come and, and where I want to go. Definitely. That's a great story and appreciate you sharing that and, and kind of the meaning behind why that's your favorite place. I think that's important to kind of have that connection for sure. Big time. And last question, and, and you'll appreciate this one because you, uh, played in both places. So we've got to ask Chicago style or New York style pizza. Oh man. That is the, that's a mean question. Um, Told you I would, have to say, I, I would, I would have to say New York, New but, York? but you know, like on the fence, I'm on the fence because you know, both, both are awesome. Definitely. Well, Theo, uh, what's pre- that, what's that pizza? What's that pizza place in, in Chicago called Uno, Uno, Una? Uh, so there's a couple. Uh, so when I was going to grad school at uh, Loyola, I actually worked at Gino's East. So oh that's, yes, yeah, yeah. So I worked that's at great. the, yeah, yep. I worked at the original Gino's East there, just on Superior, just south of like yep. the John Hancock Building, the Water Tower, yep. awesome and uh, pizza. yeah, yeah. So I ate a lot of it when I was in Chicago. But then they also had Giordano's and Lou Malnati's. Yes. Yep. 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 And then yeah, I discovered. Oh, there's lots of great pizza joints there. Lots For of great sure. Italian too. Lots of great Italian. For sure. There's actually a place uh, in Lincoln Park. If you're ever back in Chicago, you'll have to check this out. I, I used to live like three blocks from it. I lived in Lincoln Park for about nine months and uh, didn't even know this place existed. Uh, but it was called Pequod's Pizza. And it was up there. I believe it was just off Lincoln and Clybourne. And it was the best homemade Chicago style deep dish pizza. So if you're ever back there, you'll have to give that one a try. I will. For sure. Theo, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this. And again, continue to please do what you're doing. It's amazing work. And uh, all my listeners, uh, please give Theo a follow and check out Breaking Free Foundation's website. And uh, Theo, let's uh, have you and Eric on sometime. And uh, let's uh, 
I'll I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, go Flames, and uh, of course, go Blackhawks. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, asking me to do this, and uh, you know, it's been fun getting to know you and and uh, getting the opportunity to work with you. And uh, bigger and better things are on the horizon. So definitely, Theo Fleury, everybody. <laughs>